This is Thoughts on the Table by DisgracesOnTheMenu.com. Hello and welcome to Thoughts on the Table, the audio blog on food and food culture with Paul again and with David Scott Allen back again. It's great to be here. Looking forward to it. Fantastic to have you, David. So, David, uh, we spoke uh, uh, in person uh, about a year and a half ago. And by in person, I mean via Skype, but it feels the same. Um, and yes, um, on our first episode, we talked a lot about a lot of things. We, um, we introduced your work, uh, which is uh, a fantastic blog called Coco and Lavender, who uh, you started writing in 2010 and goes very strong uh, and steady after over seven years with one post a week. So that's uh, 364 recipes. So if you are looking for something to cook, uh, say, every day of the year for a year, uh, you know where to go. Uh, it's going to be a recipe for you. Um, and then um, about you, uh, you have a lot of connections to Italy uh, because your aunt married into a Sicilian family. So growing up, uh, you, uh, you had a chance to um, you know, spend time with them, have dinner with them uh, weekly. Um, so then you travel to Italy a lot. Uh, you're also a musician. Uh, you play bass uh, professionally for many years uh, in the United States, but also in Europe. And finally, I'm going to say that you have fantastic food photography. So that's one a feature. Yeah. Uh, one feature um, uh, of your blog that really stands out uh, and really helps understand uh, the dish and, um, you know, um, the mood that accompanies the dish. I talk about mood also because, yes, um, you're a blogger. Yours is not really just the recipe book. Uh, it's very personal. You talk about your stories and how you came across with the food that you cook and what it means to you and how to best enjoy it. So that's, that's another key element of, of your blog. Thank you. <laughs> I love doing it. It's, it's just such a great um, therapy for me every week to be able to write the blog, to photograph it, to, um, to, to create the recipes, to find new recipes and yeah. just run. <laughs> Absolutely. And it must be getting a little bit hard to, to find new recipes uh, every week because most of your recipes are original. Uh, they're recipes that you come up it's with. It's a combination, actually. There's a, there are a lot of times where, um, I, well, for example, uh, in the next couple of weeks, people will be seeing things that I ate while I was in Toscana just two weeks ago. Um, I didn't get recipes from the chefs, but I'm doing my best to get the same result with nice. just, yeah. so I'm getting the ideas and creating the recipes. Sometimes they are full creations of my own and other times, and I do try to be really open when I get a recipe from someone else, I say so because mm -hmm. I want credit to go where credit is due. Absolutely. Being true to what you do is obviously very, very important. So for this episode, I thought we could do something uh, that I'm sure is going to be quite fun. So uh, a while ago, uh, my friend Diana Zoranis, who's also a podcast guest, she's been a recurring guest for a few episodes, uh, invited me to write a guest post on her blog. And uh, the theme that she chose was the rules of Italian food or the things that Italians consider rules that cannot break when they're cooking. So this post turned out to be a collaboration between myself and a bunch of other bloggers, uh, spent a bunch of time on it because I really wanted to make sure that it wasn't just my own rules on the rules that my mother taught me. Yeah, because yeah, some, of, some of those rules are like built into yourself in your own, you know, uh, mental structure. But I wanted to make sure that what I wrote was, was general enough. Of course, the, there's always exceptions, but yeah. So 
What I would like to do with you is uh, to go through these uh, rules, or some of them at least, and um, and see uh, what are your thoughts on them and how do you, you experience them. As you being somebody who was not born in Italy, I'm really curious to know how you, you respond to these things, whether you understand them uh, or uh, you, you think they are uh, maybe uh, excessive. So uh, let's start. Let's get started. Sounds good. All right. So... The cooking guidelines that we wrote um, were divided in sections, and the first one, of course, was on pasta. <laughs> so let's get started. Let's start right at the top, yes. Yes. Okay. Pasta must be cooked in plenty of salty water at full boil, and then it should be served al dente, and mm-hmm. then pasta should be served with sauce, not the other way around. The <laughs> ratio is important. And then, you know... Uh, you use uh, parmigiano, reggiano, usually grated um, on most pasta and risotto, uh, as long as they don't have fish in it. Okay, so let's 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 look at those few rules for a second. So the pasta water um, and the salted pasta water is one thing I'm really passionate about, um, and it's something my mother taught me. Nothing to do with pasta, but she always taught me that starches, mm-hmm. potatoes, and rice for her get their flavor from salting them while they cook. And so if you salt a potato afterwards, you have salt on potato. Mm-hmm. And it's the same with pasta. So if you salt the water, the salt goes into the pasta, it goes right. into the rice, it goes into the potato and creates that wonderful flavor. And when I see people salt their pasta water, and I wish this were a video, and they just pick up a little pinch of salt and put it in their <laughs> pasta water, I just go crazy. Because really, um, the woman who taught me how to make pesto, I remember talking about her last time, mm-hmm. She told me the water must taste like the sea. Yeah, it's true. And that's really a good way to do it. If, if you don't feel like you've just taken a mouthful of seawater, there's probably not enough salt in there to really make the pasta taste good. True. I have my, my own, uh, which is uh, less romantic, actually, a lot uh, more sad, which says it should taste like tears, which is, uh, which is oh. also true. <laughs> which is interesting, the parallel between tears and the sea. It's, uh, something the sea, like exactly. made of it. <laughs> so it, it, that is always something. And when, I, when people see me put a fistful of salt in the pasta water, they just, they're appalled. I'm sure my doctor would be appalled. But the fact is that makes the pasta taste like pasta. Yeah. And really, your doctor should not be because the percentage of salt and it actually ends up into the pasta is not more than what you would put on top at the end when you sprinkle exactly. it. Exactly. Yes. And maybe even less. And even end. less, yes. So I, I'm totally on board with um, It's just really interesting. My brother, we had dinner last night. And he had just gotten back from a bike trip in the Veneto. And he... Uh, said, I was really glad that the pasta wasn't all al dente. And I'm sure, actually, that he doesn't know what al dente means. Mm. Because to him, that means undercooked pasta. Oh. But to me, really knowing what that means, there should always be a texture to the pasta. Right. I mean, it has to have some. It, it is a thing. It is not a, this amorphous blob. blob that goes in your mouth. Yeah. Exactly. So he, um, but I really do think that, you know, People do overcook pasta, um, and they don't understand the concept of it. And so, I really am into get people to understand that if you you're not careful, you will have overcooked pasta, which will taste not very good, and it will yeah. not do well with the sauce. Exactly. And then I want to see. Oh, the uh, cheese on fish. Now, this has actually come up recently in my life. Oh yeah. Um, in the family recipes, there is a pasta for tuna, lemon, and capers, and the family. Yeah. Puts some pecorino or parmigiana on that. Yeah. And I, I have Italian neighbors who would say, no, no, no. I have seen that. And I've seen it in Italy. 
Yeah. And it's a, you're right, it's certain seafood. It's tuna in oil. It's not fresh tuna. Mm-hmm. So it has a very different feel to it. And then when I was making a recent dish for the corzetti in, um, with a uh, sauce, a recipe online that said it was authentic, and I, who knows, mm-hmm. um, it was with a very traditional combination of anchovies, capers, pinoli, um, something else, a marjoram, mm-hmm. which is actually very traditional herb served with corzetti, but they also had uh, pecorino on top. Yeah. Um, I think that there are exceptions. And like you said, um, to me, canned tuna and anchovies, yes, it's fish, but it's not really fish. It doesn't really taste fishy. So um, exactly. I, I think that's what's going on. I've also seen some um, uh, shellfish. There is uh, maybe a gratin um on which there is cheese, uh, and that too uh, is not fishy. It's, uh, it's creamy. It's another type of um, flavor. So yes, there are exceptions, um, but certainly um, it's still a rule that that you should be careful, at least uh, with exactly. with cheese on top of fish. Yeah, and also being careful which cheese you're using for what dish in general. I mean, it's not just always Parmigiano-Reggiano. It can be a different cheese because of the region. And so being really careful, not just saying, well, Pecorino is the same as... No, it's not. And again, it goes with the regional food that you're getting. All right. So going forward uh, in this article, we were talking about pizza. Okay. So uh, this was my friend, uh, Diana, who's American. And uh, when uh, she got in Italy, um, she was surprised that people would order their own individual pizza to themselves. Like you order a pizza by its name, it's served to you whole, not sliced, and you just eat it. So this is how it goes. It's like, you know, your individual portion, as opposed to the more communal experience uh, that she was familiar with from the United States. So well, what is your thought on, uh, on pizza as your uh, meal, essentially, a meal in one plate? Um, I often will order my own margarita pizza for myself. And, and there are very few places I actually will go for pizza because I'm very picky about how pizza mm-hmm. tastes. And I, again, the, the purity of flavor, it's... I don't want crazy toppings. I don't want pineapple and spam on my pizza ever. Um, And I have to say the only time I've had pizza in Italy uh, was in Rome at a fairly famous place. I can't remember the name of it, Mm -hmm. but it it wasn't overwhelmingly good. It was become such a tourist place. And, um, but the pizzas were served in a reasonable size that someone could eat by themselves. And, um, but I did not know the etiquette of how to eat a pizza. Mm singular pizza what do you mean um it's done with fork and knife i'm assuming yeah that's right and so that's what we did um i didn't know if there was any other way to do that so because here pizza i i never eat it with my hands um i guess mark taught me this long ago that you know basically in italy you always eat with a fork and knife like even if you get an orange at the table you learn how to peel it and and (sighs) Do the whole thing with a fork and knife, and and that's pretty much true in a way. You, yeah, you, I think so. You get fruit at the table. You you use your fork and knife to peel and prepare it and whatever. It could be a, a fico d'india, I and mean, you you know you yeah, true. It. Especially if you, yeah, <laughs> especially those who don't want to touch those. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, yeah. So I mean, that's what we got when we were in Rome, and that's basically what I do here. Although when I go out with the friends from the office, they get a big one, and you know I don't argue. I just go along with it. 
have. Yeah, of course. Um, another thing about pizza is that um, some toppings um, should never be cooked. So they are added to it at the end. And this is something that you see done wrong um, sometimes, even in Italy, rarely, but often in North America, in, in my experience. So like when you get um, rocket put on before it goes into the oven and those 90 seconds, uh, very high heat, well, basically uh, destroy it. Yeah. Um, what do you think about basil? Well, basil, uh, there's two schools. So, um, yeah, <laughs> exactly. Good question. So, um, what I've seen done, uh, and personally, I like the, the result of is basil put before uh, under the cheese, so it, it gets covered uh, in the cheese. So, tomato goes first, uh, you know, as a, as a spread, and then you know, basil, and then cheese goes on top, and so it, it doesn't become crisp. It, it's, it remains there and gives a lot of flavor uh, to what's around it. <clears throat> um, but I also see in the other uh, case where it's added at the end, uh, super fresh. Uh, and again, that's the other, the other common way to have it. So place I go locally, um, which is based out of Brooklyn and they franchise, they will do a little bit underneath and then do some on top afterwards. Yeah, totally. For, that, I, I like both. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's totally, um, a, a good way to do it. If you have good basil, that's, that's what, uh, okay. what, what I like they, to do. Sometimes basil in North America, at least in Vancouver, um, is, is not the, the Genovese uh, type. Um, it tends to be more like a tile style basil. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah. Which, which is still basil, but, it's uh, but it's, yeah, it's not, it's different. It's different. It's more minty to me. It, there's some, yeah. some component there that I don't love. So I'd rather than put it on top so I can remove it. So but that's, that's just me. <laughs> because I really don't, don't like crazy toppings. Oh, crazy toppings. Yeah, they, there are uh, no crazy toppings. Um, and also there are um, presets of, of toppings. Uh, and this is something quite important. Like Italians tend to pick from uh, a list and uh, usually pizzas are divided into traditional pizzas and more creative pizzas where each restaurant has their own but um but it's quite rare to get people to customize like pick any of those three toppings and do your own crazy thing um this is because italians kind of know that they don't want to leave the cooking to you they are the cooks so (laughs) they'll guide you yeah i think that makes a lot of sense they know what they're doing trust them yeah, I mean, again, it's because some combinations are known to to work, and uh, why not feature them? Um, and then you know there can be some creative variation than the chef uh, as uh, devised, which again is it's worth checking out. Um, and then yeah, you can always do a little substitution. They let you do that for sure um, in many many places. Uh, so like you remove something or have double of something. Um, you can always ask for something like that. So, but that's as much as they go in terms of customization. Yeah. yeah. And then a final thought on pizza, which brings up my topic of the dreaded G, as you remember, I'm allergic to garlic. Oh, yeah. Um, I know garlic's coming along in a, in a bit for a conversation, but one of the things I found in Italy is that you would never find garlic in a pizza sauce in Italy. It's tomatoes. Yes, not in the sauce. You're right. It's just strained tomatoes and salt. Yeah, exactly. That's that's very important. So it's not the sauce that was cooked uh, beforehand and that contains a lot of ingredients. Sometimes, you know, you can have garlic uh, and that's on you know, the marinara or the fish-based pizzas. The marinara sure. is a red pizza Absolutely. without cheese. So then, yes, it, it can be added, but always in small amounts. And that's another thing that, uh, uh, you know, really makes me cringe here. You have cloves of, of garlic uh, uh, entire like 10 15 of them on one pizza you have one per slice or two 
that's it's disgusting disgusting isn't it <laughs> i mean even if i could eat garlic it was yeah, disgusting. no it's just it's good yeah. it's too strong that's the thing um the thing about garlic is um i don't know it's not considered refined food in italy uh it was like the food of the peasants and uh, when they didn't have anything else to eat so yeah they don't want to get into that even though obviously they like the flavor but again the flavor also tends to be overwhelming so again you need to go easy on garlic <laughs> yes agreed <laughs> and if you think of garlic as one of many herbs yeah um we think about using herbs and you know you would never use that equivalent amount of any other herb you know it's a seasoning it's one flavor and mark and i discovered once we were making uh pasta burro al salvia and we thought well if six sage leaves were great we should put in 20 mm -hmm. our lesson that 20 becomes really bitter and you don't want 20 you want the six that gives the flavor yeah and and subtlety is a really good key to that Exactly. Very, very well said. Yeah, it's true. It's seasoning. So yeah, you should be careful with that. This is on eating etiquette. Um, and the first thing that we wrote was that cappuccino is only to be had in the morning or at least away from lunches. So you can have it maybe middle of the afternoon if you really want to. Yeah, I think that's really pushing the rule. <laughs> yeah, it's pushing it, but not not after a meal that kill you. No, that's Italian. Yeah, they will. Yeah, they will. It's it's terrible. <laughs> it's terrible. Um, and I, you know, and of course, the first time I went with a big group, we had I think eleven of us, and all the women who loved their cappuccino just couldn't wait for a cappuccino after lunch, and the server said, mm -mm. <laughs> "Just wagged your finger and said." not happening no he said no uh. and it was a no and they're like well we're the customers i'm and just cappuccino machine isn't on i can make you a cafe i can do you know we can put some milk in for you <laughs> you know you're not getting cappuccino and it was uh it was kind of funny and um, i don't drink coffee so i okay, it's another okay. one of my weird quirks yeah, i've never yeah. had coffee in my life but still i'm very aware of when you order something and when you don't and and someone said, you know, yeah, you could have maybe a, I think they call it a macchiato. macchiato maybe. Yeah. maybe that could get you past a little bit. But, um, you know, really, it's an espresso. And it's not, you don't sit there and sip the espresso. It's pretty much, it's gone. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. That, that too. Um, okay. Well, another point was that, um, okay, cookies for breakfast uh, are allowed. So my American friend thought that cookies are really um, something a snack and breakfast instead is an important meal of the day so you shouldn't have a snack as your important meal of the day but but it's nonsense when your cookies are frollini which are um, very simple yep. um shortbread um but lighter than than shortbread shortbread it can be very right. heavy in butter um and uh and you have a small amount of them handful uh and you dip them in your milk and coffee yeah. so that that's a that's a, exactly yeah and they're all i mean actually even here in this country there's a Italian-American company called Stelladoro. Mm -hmm. Do you have them up there? No, I, I haven't seen that. And they make a bunch of different breakfast cookies. They're um, S-shaped ones that are unflavored. There are kind of a biscotti that are, or biscotto or biscotti yeah. plural that are with fennel in them. And they're not sweet. They're just really meant for dunking in your coffee in the morning. Oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So that's still my favorite breakfast. It puts me in a, in a perfect state to start the morning. It's better than anything else. Yeah, I have my hot chocolate, my cocoa. Yeah, of course. And and of course, my cocoa is Italian. Did we discuss that? No, we did I not. 
Italians have the best cocoa. In Italy, you can buy Perugina, which yes. is really, really good. And it's, um, it's incredibly dark and wonderful and rich. Um, have not been able to find it very much here, mm. but I get Gotti here, which is Italian. Um, I get, I buy it by the kilo. And in fact, I keep looking out the window because my shipment's due today. Um, it's really, really good. And there are no good American options. There are no good French options. As far as I'm concerned, the Italian cocoa is truly the best I've ever had. Yeah, I've always been surprised in, I think it's because of the attention that Italians put into cocoa and um, coffee. Um, obviously, we don't produce neither coffee or cocoa. Um, no. But, uh, but we have a lot of, um, um, you know, tradition in preparing them uh, for that kind of consumption. Something about the Italian cocoa, I find, is definitely superior to all the others. And, mm. and I used to have 37 different kinds of cocoa in the house at any given time. And I eventually found the one I like the most, and it's the Italian, and I stick with it. And so I'm very... Very loyal to my Italian cocoa. Interesting. Yeah, yeah. I, I like cocoa, but I'm not a connoisseur like, like you are. Oh, so. you really? It's worth, next time you're in Italy, buy a small package of the Perugine and get it. Um, and just, just and get something French, get something German, get something Swiss, and smell the difference, and you will be astonished. I yeah. will, for sure. Fantastic. It's science, you know. It's science, yes. Um, still on breakfast, uh, one consideration was that uh, breakfast in Italy is mostly a sweet affair. Uh, there's really very little in the way of savory breakfasts. So mm -hmm. that's, that's the thing. And um, yeah, so quite strange to start the day with uh, eggs uh, to an Italian. Absolutely strange, especially because eggs are a second course. Um, yes. Frittata is definitely something you can have instead of your, your steak or whatever you want to eat because of the proteins and it goes well with a lot of other savory things. So, yeah. And it's easier on your, actually, it's very easy on your digestion eggs. They're very good for yeah. a second course of Thursday night. Yeah. True. They're probably good also for breakfast, um, but uh, it's just not something that, that we do. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then fruit uh, being served after the meal um, mm -hmm. as dessert essentially as a very healthy dessert uh, as something sweet that uh, will end a meal as opposed to uh, being uh, another kind of snack and something that people eat uh, in between meals um, then we had uh, of course we already said it but espresso or a short coffee um, even if done without an espresso machine but with the mocha which is the more oh, yes. uh, home style coffee machine that Italians use uh, is Uh, pretty much always served at the end of the meal for those who like coffee, which is 99% of the Italians. Um, yes. And uh, for me, lunch and dinner doesn't matter. Uh, I still have uh, my espresso after, after a meal. So again, um, it's a little bit of, a, you know, it's like having a little chocolate at the end. Yes. It again uh, sort of signals the end of the meal and for me, it, it provides closure. It's the, it's <laughs> yes. the every meal needs closure and I, I do love desserts. I love fruit, but I also really love a little chocolate, but I don't need a huge piece of chocolate cake. I just want maybe a small square, just yeah. something that's going to tell my stomach that that's it. We're done. I think we're the same. Yeah, it's, it's very important. Um, drinks uh, should be paired oh, yeah. with food that should go together. Uh, so no Absolutely. milk. No milk with dinner, um, oh. unless you're a child. But, uh, you know, again, it's the same thing as cappuccino. Italian cringe at the idea of something um, so, you know, heavy uh, to kind of smother your food. Um, and, you know, it, it's at odds with flavors as well. Um, and, um, of course, um, wine is mainly had as an accompaniment to food. 
mm-hmm. and uh, yeah, and uh, it's not uh, um, head for the effects, uh, but absolutely mm-hmm. just to highlight and enjoy the food even more. Yeah, exactly. And uh, you know, I remember one of the first rules I learned is you never have a glass of wine in Italy without having food with it. You, you like here in this country, people will go out for a glass of wine after work and they'll just drink to unwind. Yeah. Yeah, to unwind, exactly. But even socially, even if it's not to unwind, it's just there, there's always something. There's tarali, there's, you know, there's something to go with it. It's, it's a, you just don't do it. And um, in fact, I think it's a law here in Arizona that you cannot have a bar that doesn't sell food. Maybe that was New Hampshire because mm-hmm. you don't want to have them separated. Yeah. And it makes perfect sense. It does. It does. Absolutely. I heard a story. Um, actually, I was reading something. Uh, and um, there was a, a waiter in Italy who refused to serve orange juice with pizza uh, as the drink. <laughs> Good for him. Good for him. Yeah. For no, it's, it's really but. Yeah. I mean, yeah, sure. No, uh, I know a friend here who was having uh, chocolate milk with sushi. So that can be worse, I think. Oh, it, that is much worse. <laughs> How on earth do you have a friend like that? Uh, well, we're no longer friends, actually. Uh, okay, thank you. I'm <laughs> glad to hear that. <laughs> yeah, no, no, no. <clears throat> I was a co-worker, ex-worker. I want to take distance. Anyway, um, a few more. Uh, of course, pasta should never be cut with a knife. Oh, that yep. really makes me sick to the stomach to, to when I see that. Yeah. It's like, oh. Um, and then, you know, you need a spoon to pick it up. That's, that's oh. just a... Now, now, question on that. Actually, this yeah. is something that I've always wondered. Is there a regional difference on using a spoon to twirl the pasta in the spoon? Is that a regional thing? I don't do it. No. I, but I've seen a lot of Italian-Americans do it here. So I didn't know if maybe it was something that came from... I'll just say Sicily, but it could be the um, Apulia, or it could be, but it's not, a, it's not a regional effort. N- not that I know of. I know it's an Italian-American thing. I um, do know that. Yeah. yeah, I think it may, as my own speculation, may have come from the fact that rolling pasta on the fork is kind of hard. And if you're not used to doing it, uh, a spoon underneath can help you get, you know, the rotation right. Well, and also in Italy, you have pasta bowls. I mean, in a lot of traditional Italian-American True. restaurants, your spaghetti is served on a plate, not on a bowl. And so there's nothing on the side to, yeah. I mean, to help you twirl the pasta onto the fork. So that very well may have something to do with how it came to be here. But Very good point. I never thought of that. I think you're right on it. Yeah. Um, that's another explanation. Personally, I don't do it. I don't think it's necessary. Um, no. Yeah. But uh, but yeah, and also you don't have to be super perfect at at rolling the pasta on your fork. That's another myth that you know you don't know how to do it. It's okay to bite uh, through it and, and let the rest fall into your plate. It's, it's something Italians do, and, and nobody is shocked to see that. Yeah, yeah. Um, finally, uh, we had bread okay on the table, which is another thing. You can just put it on the table. It doesn't have to be, uh, you know, on a plate. Uh, also because it's head without butter. So again, you, you can uh, usually leave it on the table because there's a tablecloth too. So that's another thing. Um, the entire table is a viable surface when you're eating in Italy. The table has and a tablecloth. And you pay for that tablecloth yeah. because that's coperto. And, and we don't have one. 
here. I mean, that's not part. I mean, yeah. Yeah. So that's your tablecloth. You use it how you want. And it goes away when you're finished your meal. Yeah, it's your own. It gets washed every time. Yeah. So that's, that's another yeah. thing. Um, there's no garlic toast. goes without saying. Um, okay. Because, again, limited. I'm, happy, use, I'm happier that way. Yes. Limited use of garlic, of course, in general. And uh, bread is just good on its own. And it's actually, it's good to go with things. So, you know, that's the purpose of uh, of bread. We, we say we have a word called companatico. Uh, this is oh, yeah. archaic, which means to go with bread, and it basically is the uh, is synonymous of food. Uh, essentially, food is something to go with bread. Uh, like you say, bread is always there to accompany food. So, um, yeah, so that, that's what it is to an Italian, um, and it's also a tool, it's a way to get food into your mouth as well. A strange bit of um, etymology in that the word French for friend, copain, mm-hmm. comes from with bread, so the ah. two things go so it, it actually creates a friendship so fantastic strange little bits that you probably never will need to know ever again but no no I, I, I'm but studying French I, I love this one yeah the origin of words is, is just so fascinating yeah. uh, so yes it says a lot about a culture so yes absolutely fantastic David uh this was the article, and uh, yeah, we are out of time for this episode as well. Oh, we have one more thing. We've talked about the recipe. Oh, yes, we did. Oh, sorry. Yes, yes, let's do and that. We talked about ourselves, but not on tape. Um, no, 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 no so, let's do this. So uh, when I was in uh, going to the Cinque Terre uh, back 15 years ago, we stopped in Levanto for a train stop, and we missed our train by seconds, but we had about an hour. So we found a little pasta shop, and I bought some pasta forms there. I bought some trofie. I think I bought some tagliatelle. I can't remember. But I did see some uh, about two-inch, so about five-centimeter coins that they looked like. They were stamped with beautiful patterns. And I checked the name, and it was Corzetti. Mm-hmm. And I thought, well, hmm, maybe we'll come back and get some of those. But I didn't know what to do with them. Um, and then 15 years later, uh, we, we were in a little, a very large kitchen store in Florence called Bartolini. Mm-hmm. And, you know, totally wrong region to have a Corzetti stamp. But they had one. Um, I'm not sure what wood it's made of. It's not fancy. They did have fancy ones that were 70, 80 euros. But this one was a reasonable price one, and it's two parts. The pattern is on the bottom and the top, and mine had a fleur-de-lis, which is great for Florence because mm-hmm. that's one of the symbols of Florence. And um, so I bought this, and I decided, okay, I'm going to go make corsetti. I'm going to find out what the sauce is that goes with corsetti. Nice. And the whole point of making the stamp makes perfect sense. It's to give you a place for the sauce to be. Mm-hmm. And so the, all those ridged pastas, all those pastas with shapes, the, the sauce goes with it. Yeah. So. This is exactly why I decided to make the corsetti. So one thing I found out, the dough is very different. Um, you don't lose a lot of egg because the egg creates leavening. Once you get leavening, your patterns go away mm-hmm. if, when they cook. So they puff up and so you miss your pattern. So for um, you know, 12 and a half ounces of flour, I used one egg where I normally might use three to four mm-hmm. and um, white wine and water. Oh, and a little salt. And, and it doesn't really make the pasta taste very much different, to be honest with you. I can't taste the wine. Mm-hmm. Um, but it does make it so that the stamp stays so that when you cook it, the shape is still there. Interesting. And so um, I've been researching sauces for this. And sauces seem to be very much marjoram-based. Mm-hmm. They say meat sauces are a tradition um, on this. Uh, but they say uh, pestos. But there's meat with marjoram instead of basil. And um, they suggest that. There's also the one I mentioned with uh, anchovies, capers, pinoli, and um, something else. I can't remember. And that was really good on it, too. Um, so I, it, I think um, that's the one I'd like to make for 
you to go with this blog post because I think it's awesome. a new pasta form for me and it's a new cuisine in a, in a sense because I don't really know. I mean, I know some of the Korean food, but it's a, it's a really great way to try something different and new. So I have that ready to go. I've already made some of the pasta and uh, tried it out a couple different ways with different sauces. So Awesome. Yes, um, we will link to your article so that people will be able to see uh, exactly what the corsetti look like, at least the ones that you, you can produce with your with your corsetti stamp. Um, right, yes. which are very readily available online on Amazon. Apparently, there's someone in Ohio, I think someone told me, that makes great corsetti stamps. But the other thing is, I'm sure every Nona didn't have a corsetti stamp because even that might be expensive. You know, anything that's going to put a pattern, a coin, um, a kind of um, metal screen that might give you, basically you're looking for something that's going to give you ridges. You could use your gnocchi board if you needed mm -hmm. to probably yeah. get the pattern. So it's basically to get your pasta to have the right amount of ridges to hold the sauce. Fantastic. Yeah, looking forward to this post and uh, yeah, we will link it when it comes out. And then next year I'm going to Sicily, so we'll have to check back after that about what I bring back from Sicily, my family's hometown. Oh yes, you know, so let's let's touch base then for for another episode that's like about Sicilian food. Uh, I know it's a, it's an entire new world. Even for me, I know very little of it. So I'll be looking forward so to completely new for both of us. Awesome. I will talk to you later and uh, and keep in touch of course as usual. Absolutely. I also do. Take care. Fantastic. Mm -hmm.